At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's the Son of a Butch podcast. I'm your host, Claude Harmon. We always come to you every Wednesday. Huge week last week in professional golf, the President's Cup, and so, so happy to get an opportunity to talk to the international team captain, Trevor Immelman. We had him on the podcast last year, very, very early at the beginning. Um, he's a friend, um, and I think he did an unbelievable job, and I was really, really excited uh, that he had the time to take to talk to us about last week and all things President's Cup. So really excited for everybody to get Trevor's ideas and takes on last week. But before we jump to the interview, let's talk about and thank our newest partner for Wellness. If you heard me talk about them last week, then you know I've been a big fan of theirs for a long time. I've been drinking the coffee. It's my go-to cup every morning. And when I'm teaching at the Flow, it has really helped me change my morning routine. I used to be a big Starbucks guy, go to Starbucks all the time. Don't do that now. I feel better and avoid the crash that caffeine can sometimes give you. I also have more focus, energy. There are no artificial ingredients, sweeteners, creamers, and all that stuff you know that stuff's not good for you. And that's why they call it the good stuff. Last year, I interviewed one of the co-founders, Dave Phillips. And like I said, I'm going to try and get him and Phil on the show, um, hopefully, so we can talk about the company and their mission. Essentially, they believe that feeling great shouldn't have to come at a cost of taste or even convenience. So I drink the coffee every day. They've got some energy bites, which... Um, I use and the good stuff comes in a little pouch scoop in your coffee. I put it in smoothies, take it with me on the road. I'm really excited to have them on board as a partner and have a special code for son of a butch listeners. You can get 20% off your order plus free shipping and a free starter kit worth $30 for a limited time. When you visit for wellness.com slash podcast. That's spelled F-O-R-W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S dot com slash podcast and enter code CH3 at checkout. It's their best offer right now, so give it a try. They even back every purchase with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Again, that's code CH3 at forwellness.com backslash podcast. So now let's get to the interview with the International President's Cup captain, Trevor Immelman. 
All right, my guest is the captain of the International President's Cup team, Trevor. I went to the first President's Cup, believe it or not, in 1994. That's how old I am. Uh, <laughs> I think I, yeah, I, 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 I remember it because one, it was at RTJ. My dad was working with Greg Norman at the time, but I remember I went to the movie theater and saw Forrest Gump in the <laughs> movie theater. That's how old I am. Trev, even though you guys didn't get the victory again, it seems to me that there's finally some momentum for this international team um, with the way, you know, they performed down in Australia a couple of years ago. And then it, it, it seems like there's a, there's a team. Um, do you feel that? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, great to join you, man. Always, always enjoy chatting with you, bro. But uh, we do feel that. I think all of our squad members feel that. Uh, Australia was huge for us. Captain Else was the perfect captain at the perfect time to really jump in there with uh, some power and some backbone and make some changes that we desperately needed and had needed for a number of years. And he built this foundation for us. And uh, we knew what the plans were, the blueprints are. And Carmenita and I just wanted to try and pick up that ball and run with it and add a few bricks to that foundation so that for cups to come, uh, you know, eventually this house is going to be built. Eventually we're going to win this thing. Uh, we feel like we, uh, we have the plans in place. We have uh, the people and the support staff in place. And then also on top of that, and probably more importantly, quite honestly, because it's the players who win this thing, uh, we're starting to see so much talent come through from around the world. So if we can find a way to harness that talent uh, get them comfortable playing in these team events, then, uh, you know, we think we're going to get this done eventually. I, It seems really, really trivial, but I think the changing of the logo and the shield was a huge, huge part of this shift because it was the international team. The colors were always weird. It never really kind of, you played in 05 and 07. It, it, it kind of made sense. It kind of didn't make sense, but this this logo, the way that you guys dressed all in black, it to me there seems to be an identity building for for an international team. Which, as you know, Trevor, having played and now having captain, the U.S. It's easy for the guys to come together, right? They play for the United States, they play for America, the USA chant. I mean, all that stuff is real. Mm -hmm. um, the fanatics, which are fun, um, but. I really feel like and, and watching that there is an identity that guys coming into this every couple of years can touch and feel. And I think the logo, the clothing, the way it's being done now is giving the team something that I didn't see it having 15 years ago. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Uh, it was always a tricky thing for us. You know, we would be blending people from seven, eight, nine different countries and in a lot of ways, they would come there representing their country rather than coming there to represent our team. And so I thought it really was a pretty genius move from Ernie to uh, want to step away from that and create something to where, okay, I don't care if you come from Japan, China, Australia, South Africa, Canada, wherever. When you come to the President's Cup, you are not representing those countries. You're representing the Shield. And the way he went about that process, told that story, um, you know, leaned on friends of his that are in special forces and stuff like that to design this logo that actually means something for us. We had a picture up in our 
team cabin at the golf course that explained exactly exactly what goes into the formation of this logo and the players you know organically and from a grassroots level uh, are starting to see that and buy into that and that's that really is uh the big difference so you know this this one what we did for the first time that was quite interesting was uh it was the first time we actually wore team colors um, we had the shield down in Australia last time, but we still had some green and a few different colors that we would wear in our uniforms. And one of the changes I wanted to make was we were going to come to Charlotte and we were actually going to wear team colors. So Wednesday for the official photo, that was, that was the first time we wore black and gold for our official photo. Um, I didn't quite have the guts in the planning to throw the black and gold in on a tournament day because I wasn't sure how it was going to look. But uh, I think it turned out pretty good. Maybe we'll throw that in there on tournament days next time. But, yeah, the all black was for a number of reasons. Um, number one, you know, it's our, it's our main color, the, the black. And number two was a little bit of a nod to the greatest international player ever, Gary Player. He used to wear all black on Sundays when he was coming down the stretch. Uh, he's been captain a number of times at this event, somebody that means something to us. So it had a bit of a dual meaning there. Um, but yeah, it, it's been an incredible process. It, it really has to be able to see guys buy into the shield, buy into what this team stands for, and most importantly, want to represent the shield and, and protect it at all costs. That, for me, has probably been the most rewarding thing through this process. You played, you've been a captain. Um, how different? I mean, very few people um, get to do that get to play on a Ryder Cup, on a President's Cup, on a Walker Cup, on, you know, a, and play as a player and then do it as a captain. Talk us through, Trevor, how different the experience is as a captain versus a player. I mean, obviously, the planning you had, you know, with COVID, you had more time to plan. There's the planning side of it. But the feeling as, as, a, as a human being, as a person, the difference between being a player in this event and captaining the team in this event, what are the emotions and the feelings that you felt last week that were different than when you played? Yeah, the planning is, is the huge part. Uh, like you say, we had the extra year, and this kind of bleeds into the previous question as well. Um, you know, the American team is such a juggernaut. And America as a country is such a powerful force. And every athlete that has ever represented the U.S. and worn the red, white, and blue, um, you know, the brand is so huge. And so that was, that was one of the things that we wanted to add into this was how could we find a way through the use of the shield now to be able to have some merchandise out there to where people can, uh, you know, jump on our team, support us. One of the things that always struck me was, uh, you know, for me, one of the beauties of the U.S. is you can go to any corner store. You can go to a 7-Eleven right now, and you can buy a piece of merchandise with, with the stars and stripes on it. With I mean, an eagle on it, something <laughs> that, that donates America. Yeah, it's so cool. And I was like, shucks, we don't have anywhere where even if we found a fan, and by the way, we represent billions of people all over the world, even if people wanted to support us, there was nowhere they could go to buy some merch with the shield on so, you know, that was part of the planning. That was part of building the brand and creating this franchise. 
that added uh, a lot of work in the planning stages, uh, trying to find a way to get, get all of that done. And then, you know, you really move on to, okay, how can I make this experience the greatest golfing experience for each and every one of these players and team members, whether it be support staff, caddies, wives, everybody. So, I mean, you've spent a lot of time with Carmenita. You know how talented she is from that aspect, how dedicated she is. She thinks about every little detail, very detail-orientated. And so we just systematically went through, okay, this is what the wives are going to have during the week. This is the process they're going to go through. These are the ways we're going to support them, the things we're going to gift them. And we just went down the line with caddies, support staff, and then most importantly, players. Um, so the planning aspect was huge. I was spending, <clears throat> I'm wanting to say, for the better part of two years, we were probably investing four to five hours a day uh, in the planning phase. But then once all of that's done, the golf balls are in the air. You know, we get to Charlotte. Guys are, guys are doing their work. And then really you're just trying to shepherd these guys, keep them in the right frame of mind, keep them happy, keep them loose and comfortable. And then really the job gets a lot easier outside of the picks and trying to create the matchups that you think could give you the best possible chance uh, when the tournament kicks off. But once we got to the tournament, the work was pretty much over. It was just, um, you know, more a standpoint of keeping these guys in the zone. Playing is totally different because playing, you come there very single-minded. You come there a little anxious about, okay, how many times am I going to play? So one of the things I did was I let guys know before the week that, you know, this is how many times it looks like you're going to play. These are your partners. Um, we always have to be ready for adjustments. If somebody gets sick, somebody gets injured, somebody starts making 50-footers on every hole, we've got to be ready to be nimble. But for the most part, this is the format you're looking like you're playing. These are the guys that you're going to be playing with. So we tried to prepare them uh, as much as we could for that. Uh, but as a player, yeah, you come there single-minded. You're trying to learn the golf course. You're trying to deal with the pressure, deal with the crowds, deal with people rooting against you. And so, um, you know, you come in there with a real narrow focus, whereas as a captain, you come in there more looking at it from 30,000 feet, being observant, saying, okay, I need to make a little tweak here. This seems to be moving in the right direction. I like what this is doing, so let's keep doing that. Uh, this is a complete disaster. We're going to have to fix this here in the next 30 minutes. So um, it's much more of an overall observational view, um, just pulling a few strings here or there. You've become very, very close with Dabo Sweeney, the head football coach at Clemson. Um, he is, without a doubt, one of the best football coaches in the country. Um, how much, as a captain and as a leader, did you take from your relationship with Dabo and the way that he does things? Because we, we talked about it before we started. Um, your press conference on Saturday night, the way you gave your answers, the answers you were giving, the things that you were talking about, reminded me a lot of a head football coach, of a head basketball coach, the way that they're leading a program. Um, did you talk to Dabo in, in, in the time coming up to this? Did you have conversations with him last week during the event? I speak to him all the time. He's become a really, really close friend of mine. 
I did not speak to him last week because the Tigers have got uh, a couple big weeks ahead of them. Uh, playing Wake Forest um, away last week and then uh, playing a top 10 this team, North Carolina State. So he's had his head down in the weeds, really grafting, making sure that uh, his guys are ready. I will say that I spent the two previous weekends in Clemson, uh, went to the first two home games, uh, spent a ton of time with him and with the team, actually spoke to the team on the Thursday before uh, their game a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, I've learned a lot from him, a lot, a lot uh, from observing the way he does things um, and then spending you know, one-on-one quality time with him. We, we, we spent four days together down in the Bahamas before the PGA Championship. So I do get a lot of time uh, where we have the ability to go back and forth and pick each other's brain and start to understand the little things that work. And he asks me a much, as much about golf and things that I've learned from people I've been able to hang around, like, uh, you know, Tiger and all the best players, stuff that I've observed that those athletes do. And so the two of us are constantly learning from each other. But, you know, one of the things about him that has always struck me is, uh, you know, winning is important. Winning is, winning is extremely important. It's, it's why we compete. But for Dabo, it's not the most important. The most important thing is raising good men, helping raise good men. And, you know, where his role and my role was a little different was, um, you know, I'm dealing with professional athletes. I'm dealing guys with guys in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, whereas he's dealing with kids right out of high school. So they're still in their formulative years. And his number one priority is raising good citizens and raising good men. Um, and that's something that really always has struck me. That's, that's the thing that he focuses on most. And from there, he believes that they'll be able to make the right decisions. And once they have those things in place, then it's easier for you to fulfill your potential out on the field of play because there's much less conflict in your heart and in your brain. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's something that really he has impressed on me a lot over the last decade or so. And it's, it's one of the things that... Um, that I really focused on was how can you manage your personnel? You know, I can't treat Sungjae Im the way I treat Adam Scott, the way I treat Taylor Pendrith, the way I treat Siwoo Kim. You know, you got to understand your players. You got to understand what makes them tick. You got to understand how to put them in their sweet spot so that they can go out there and play free without anything holding them down. And, uh, and that was what I tried to do. That, that was really the thing that I focused on most. We, I remember sitting in your apartment um, in London, what was it, 02, and we were watching the Ryder Cup at the Belfry, uh, the one that Paul McGinley hold that pot. And we were, I mean, I think when I look back at the U.S. Ryder Cup team and talking about the captaincy thing, there seemed to be a time with the U.S. to where the captain wanted to come in and kind of stamp his authority on the players and kind of say, listen, this, this is the way we do things. Um, and the players, I think, in talking to them and being around some of these Ryder Cup teams that I've been lucky enough to be around, the players were kind of like, 
hey man, just can we just do what we do? Just let us do what we do. And I think the Europeans always did that. I think Paul McGinley was the best example of that um, at, at Glen Eagles when Victor Dubuisson, who's, who's, who's a very interesting character, Victor kind of wanted to be on his, his own program. And Tom Watson that year was very much kind of doing the Tom Watson old school role, which we all know how that kind of turned out. But in talking to Paul, Paul said that he went to all of the players and said, listen, you tell me what you need from us so that you can perform your best. And, you know, when I look at, you know, in, in, in talking about Dabo, Trev, um, if Dabo came in and said to the program, okay, no tattoos, no earrings, no dreadlocks. This is the way we did things in 1960, 1970. There's no music. This is what you, they lose the players now. And I think that the U.S. Ryder Cup team has done a fantastic job in the last couple of years as to letting the players be the players. Um, I thought at Whistling Straits, the players basically did what they what they normally do. And this is going to sound not from an area they did what they wanted to do because they know what they do best to perform. And I think the one thing that everybody doesn't realize about the international team for the President's Cup is you're bringing all of these players in from different countries, but also you have a massive language barrier. Um, You've got to get KJ Choi, who can speak to all the the Koreans. You've got to bring in a guy like Camillo to make um, the, the guys that speak Spanish, make them feel more comfortable, Mito, um, to make them feel that. Um, you have to let the players in individual sports be themselves in the team format. And, and I think that's a really interesting balance because as you said, listen, you're dealing with professionals who are in an individual sport and every two years you're going, okay, now you're part of a team. That's, that's tough. And that's why I think, you know, I saw a lot of the stuff that I, that I hear from Dabo and stuff in, in this, this team concept. Um, and I know that's hugely important to you. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I learned a long time ago that forcing people to do something is not the best way to get their best out of them. You know, it just isn't. You have to find a way to get people to buy in to what the common goal is and and then they'll give their best and then they'll be in a position to be able to reach their full potential. But trying to force people, whether it be through mandates or rules or anything like that, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And, you know, that was probably cemented in my mind um, just with my kids growing up. And the way I decided... Uh, eventually to, to, to start parenting them is, uh, you know, you, you, you can't just enforce the law all the time. You have to be able to have an open up and honest conversation and allow them to realize why what you're saying is correct. And once they realize that and that logic starts to kick in and that belief starts to kick in, then they just want to do the right thing anyway. And, you know, that's really the model we've gone with and why I said, you, you know, you, you have to be able to understand your personnel. It's priority number one. And it's why I decided a couple of years ago that we would have, we'd create a squad mentality. We would, uh, we would have 25 guys that would be constantly coming to dinners, playing practice rounds, hanging out, flying together, um, 
just becoming more and more comfortable in each other's presence. And then you start to add the little things like, uh, you know, having a South American mentor there like Camillo, having a Korean mentor there like KJ, Mike, Jeff. These are all people that have been there and done that. They've all been to the top of the game in uh, some way, shape or form. And they're well respected, uh, not just because of their games, but because of the men that they are. And so it's very easily then for the golfers to fall in line and start to understand how those guys do things and why they do things. And it's, it's an extremely important part. And really, you know, it's not as important when you're on a run and you're playing well. It's important things when things aren't way. going well. But it was extremely important on Thursday night and particularly Friday night when we're 8-2 down. And really at this point now, we're facing getting shut out and this tournament being over on Saturday night. That's when that stuff really starts to kick in because now these players are willing and able and interested and motivated in digging deeper than what they've ever gone before and finding out something new about themselves and about their teammates and about their captains and about their partners and the whole locker room. Uh, that to me is something that's extremely special. And you look at, you know, you don't have to go that far back. You just go to whistling straights and you consider that US team and you take a look at somebody like Scotty Scheffler, who at that point really was on the verge of making the U.S. team. He wasn't a lock. He wasn't a lock by any means. There could have been four or five other players that Steve Stricker picked instead of Scotty Scheffler. But Scotty Scheffler went there. He learned something about himself. He learned something about his game. And, man, within six months, he was the world's number one golfer, the Masters champion. He reeled off four wins in a season, was the player of the year. And the guy is just an absolute stud now. And um, I really do put that down to the experience that he had with those great players and great core at Whistling Straits. And I'm hoping that, that um, somebody on our team, whether it's a Sung JM or a Siwoo, uh, you know, a lot of these players, Besaid and Hope goes out there and earns one and a half out of two points. You know, hopefully one of them found something inside themselves that – you know, not necessarily that they didn't think was there, but um, they now know how to access it. They now know how to access it. And I look forward to seeing what the next 12 months holds for those guys. So let's take a short break and we will be back right after this. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... 
Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, let's get back to the interview. You didn't get the win that that I know that you and everybody on the international side wanted. Um, I think you were up against some difficult circumstances, obviously, in the current state of world golf affairs with, with all of the stuff going on. It would be easy to talk about for you as an international captain, Trav, all the players that you didn't have at your disposal that could have helped. But the team that you had, man, I mean... You, there was some good performances. I mean, we joked last year when I was working with Siwoo Kim before he fired me, you were like, hey, you got to get Siwoo going because you and I both know, and, and if everybody listening doesn't know, Siwoo tries in about half the tournaments, half the <laughs> tournaments on the PJ Tour, right? I mean, he gives up, he he phones it in. He's one of the worst. He, he, he will admit that too. You and I have talked about this. You were saying, you know, all last year, come on, man. Get find some heart. I mean, when Siwoo gave the Patrick Reed shush the crowd thing, people and I, I think this was really good as well. We saw the video that came out yesterday of Sung Jae doing the dance, which is one of the coolest things. Um, Siwoo, Tom Kim, KH Lee, the Koreans genuinely, outwardly to the fans, are very, very introverted, introspective. They don't kind of show any emotions. You and I know Siwoo off the golf course is really funny. He's mm-hmm. mischievous. He he likes to talk smack. To see that out of him, I mean that's that's one of the things I love about these team competitions. It brings out a, a part of a player's personality that you've never really seen before. Yeah, for sure. Look, as you said, he when I became captain, he was one of the guys that I earmarked that I thought, okay, I have to have this dude. I have an incredible amount of respect for his golf game and his talent level. I think he has, uh, I want to say this in the right way, but there are very few golfers on the PGA Tour that have as high of a ceiling as Siwoo Kim. His best golf is, can be put on a level with anybody. He, he just needs to find a way to be motivated to allow that to happen. And so even though his results were a little lackluster when I was making the picks, I saw enough out of him. And the days when I called him and texted him and I was like, I need a good round today, always 65, 66. The guy is just, he's able to turn it on when he's interested. So I knew that within our team structure, we would be able to keep him engaged and keep him locked in. And I had belief that if we could do that, he could really go out there and beat anybody. Um, so, and I texted him. He, he, he called me on Monday to thank me for the week and thank me for picking him. And he told me that it was the best golfing week of his life. And I challenged him. I said to him, dude, you can play like that every time you play. You just got to want to do it. And so that's going to be the thing for him. And he's one of those players that really could step up. Look, we've seen him win the players already, but he could win a major, no problem. Just got to find a way to be engaged for four or five days. 
but yeah, the, the Koreans, let me tell you, they really became the heartbeat of our team. Like you say, amazing personalities try their best to speak English at every single opportunity. They throw themselves out there, which in a team environment, that's really what you need. You need the players to be vulnerable as soon as possible in the team room. Because once everybody sees that these big names are able to, to be vulnerable, everybody buys in immediately. That's another thing that I learned from Dabo. And the Korean guys really did that by trying to speak English, by people having a laugh every now and then when they got the order of words mixed up and then ha them having a laugh. And um, to a man, all four of those guys and KJ, amazing humor, incredible humor and willing to make fun of everybody and themselves uh, just the best. And we had these conduits there with Tom and with our Korean translator, Jin Park, to where, you know, they could aid us with some of the translation and, and really bring the point across. So, gosh, I told them all. I was on a text chain with them and um, with, with the Korean guys. And, and I told them, you know, they were the heartbeat of our team. And I'm so thankful that they stepped up in such a big way and contributed in such a big way to our team. So um, my hat's off to the man. Look, I know as an international player, coming from South Africa, I didn't have the language barrier that some of these players have. But, you know, when you want to compete against the best, you realize that that happens on the PGA Tour. At an early age, you realize that happens on the PGA Tour. And at that point, you know that you're going to have to leave Everything behind that you know and that you're comfortable with, whether you're from Korea, Australia, South Africa, and you're going to have to ship yourself and your life, and in some cases your family, to the U.S. and make that sacrifice to see if you can fulfill your dreams. And, uh, and those guys do that. And you look at the Korean representation on the PGA Tour, and I'm going to say there's nine or ten players that are out there on tour. So they're doing an incredible job. My hat's off to KJ being, being the godfather of it all. And uh, the job they're doing there at the KPGA, it's brilliant stuff. They're churning out some incredible talent. And we're not even talking about the women that dominate the game on the LPGA. So my hat's off to them. You mentioned Siwoo Kim um, and the intensity, if he could bring that all the time. You put him out in the singles match against Justin Thomas. I mean, the way that Siwoo played on Sunday, that fire, that fight, that intensity... That's what Justin Thomas brings on Thursday at the beginning of the year. I mean, Justin Thomas is that guy all the time. I thought that was a huge, huge win for Siwoo. Um, we couldn't talk about last week without talking about uh, one of the superstars to come out of this, Tom Kim. I'm glad that I, that, I, that I called you and told you in January after watching Tom played two rounds with DJ in, in Saudi Arabia. I said, he needs to be on your radar. And you're like, really? I was like, this kid. Trev, I was messaging um, Joe Scovern, who caddied for Ricky uh, Fowler for you know his whole career. He's on the bag for Tom Kim now. We were talking on Friday, Saturday night. When you meet Tom, he has something and, and you feel it in his personality. It's... It's his smile. It's you sit and talk to him for five minutes. I don't know what it is, 
but the kid has it, and we saw that last week. Yeah, absolutely. Just want to back up real quick to see the respect we have for him and um, the belief we have in his game. He was actually supposed to hit the first tee shot on Thursday. Uh, I had prepared him for that. Uh, we were going to send him and Cameron Davis out first in, in alternate shots. Siwoo was going to hit the first tee shot. But um, when Davis um, had deferred and made the change in the selection process and threw it on us, then we had to go to a different uh, plan and strategy. But uh, So we had prepared him all week, actually, to hit that first tee shot on Thursday. So I knew he was going to be ready for it on Sunday when we threw him out there against Justin Thomas. And I knew he was going to have the guts to be able to handle that situation and stand up um, to Justin. You know, we, we know how, how JT acts in these team events. We've got a pretty large sample size. He gets really pumped up. Uh, he, he is one of the guys that brings the energy on their team. He gets the crowd pumped up. And I knew Siwoo you had the guts to stand up to now did i think he was possibly going to take justin thomas down there was there was there was hope there for sure because we needed it if we were going to win the thing uh but i knew that he wouldn't i knew that justin wouldn't be able to get into siwu's head and that's why we sent him out first now going to tom i hey i spent three years trying to get into siwu's head it's impossible <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's impossible to get into that kid's head you can't exactly. do it exactly now I go into Tom, yeah. You know, I, I, I've thanked you a few times in the media already when I got that text for you. You're like, man, DJ's just played a practice round with this kid, Tom Kim. He's unbelievable. you got to check him out. And I started paying attention from that moment. And he had a, a win and a couple seconds and a third on the Asian tour. And at that time, he's 19. Exactly right. But he's been a pro since he was like 16 or 17. So he had a few years under his belt. And then he started getting some starts in some bigger events, some real events, and immediately made an impact. Um, and, you know, the way he performed at the Scottish Open against, you know, one of their biggest fields of the year and had an amazing shot to win all the way through that Sunday in the final group, made his way into the Open. And that was when the first time I met him in person. Uh, I went out on the Wednesday and he and Siwoo were playing a practice round together. So texted with Siwoo. I was like, you know, let me know when you guys tee off. I'm going to come out there and walk some holes. And I met them on the fourth fairway. And uh, he's in the fairway, Tom. And the whole location is back right. Wind is whipping. And he just pures this high cut forearm into the middle of the green. And I was like, man, you know, first shot I ever see from this kid. And it's just pure right right where he's looking and walked with them for a few holes. And immediately you can feel there's something a little different about him. He has a presence. He has self-belief while still being humble. Um, and he has, he has this mentality where he doesn't shy away from the limelight. You know, he wants the ball when it matters most. And, you know, you don't see that all that often. You see a lot of great athletes that make an incredible living, but they're just like to, to be able to cruise just under the fray and do well and have top tens and, you know, finish on podium and, uh, and never really put themselves out there. And it's not really a knock on them. 
it's more about putting yourself out there is damn difficult and it's demanding and there's a lot that comes with it and it's it's a strain mentally and there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that and so it's not necessarily a knock on that athlete but i'm just saying when you find the ones that that ask for that and want that and demand that those ones are special those ones are really special and when you match that with supreme talent is is you know when you find the magic and this kid has that this kid has that and all week we were, <laughs> we were saying to him you want that putt to win the cup and he'd be like i want that putt i want that putt i'm going to make that putt and then lo and behold he didn't have the putt to win the cup but he had a putt that was vital to us on saturday evening did you think he was going to make it I had no doubt he was going to make it. <laughs> you know, you know what was so impressive to me, Claude. So I was kind of running around. Um, it's very difficult as a captain to know where you need to be, and you're just going by instinct and you're going by guts and you're listening to the radio and you're starting to try and understand. And um, they got to 17 all square, and I joined uh, him and Siwoo in the fairway on 17. And I went up and I, you know, gave him a pat on the shoulder. And I was like, come on, we need, you know, we need this point. And he's like, I got it. I got it. I got it. They tie 17. Um, they hit their tee shots down 18. He hits a straight one. But as we're walking off the tee, he's like, I whiffed that. I'm going to be so far back. So we're walking over the hill. And now, you know, both teams are, are starting to follow because everybody realizes this is, this is a pivotal moment. It was one of the most intense moments i've ever felt on a golf course the energy was like you could it was hitting you hard we get to his ball and the guy's got like 237 or something like that i mean he's got two i'm going to say 220 222 to cover that front left bunker and see who's out in the right trees and we're trying to figure out who should play first in the better ball format you know does tom want pressure on him knowing where Siwoo's ball is, or does he want Siwoo as a little bit of insurance? And we get word from Siwoo that he's got a shot. He thinks he can get it up near the green. And it's taking a little while. And Tom just says to me, tell him I'm going to go. Like he couldn't wait anymore. He says, tell him I'm going to go. So Camillo's down. I radio down to Camillo. I said, Tom's going. So Siwoo um, stands back for a little while. And the kid pulls the two iron out. And Joe says to him, perfect club, normal two iron. And he gets over the ball. And I look back and I see three cots of Americans 15 yards from him, like just off of the line. Like they're right, they are right there. You can feel them. It's the who's who of American golf. It's Thomas, it's Spieth, it's Homer, it's Fina, it's all their wives. It's the caddies. I mean, you've got three golf carts packed with the best players in the world. And they are like steps from this kid. And then you've and got all the American vice captains who are all, you know, who've all won major championships and <laughs> right. all of that. <laughs> and he slots this two iron, dude. As it took off, that ball was never going to be outside of 15 feet. And that, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier. Some people really want that moment and others, you know, 
are looking for ways to shy away from it. And uh, after he hits the shot, I walk up to him, I put my on him, and I'm like, that, that was incredible. That was incredible. But I wanted him to stay focused because the energy all of a sudden was like, man, we've got a shot at this now. And I just said to him, make that putt. Stay focused and make that putt. And, uh, and then afterwards, we obviously got to him during the week. The amount of times we said to him, do you want, to, do you want that putt to win the cup? Because afterwards, when the media asked him about it, he said, he said, I wanted to make that putt more than anything in the world. <laughs> and it just goes to show um, somehow we got to him with, with all of that during the week. But the kid is an absolute stud. I'm extremely excited to see uh, what his future holds. He reminds me, Trev, um, if you think about the coming out party that Sergio Garcia had um, early on in his career at Medina, and then the way he played in the in the Ryder Cups, he was, you know, he, you were part of the young guns with him and Scotty back in the day. And it was that youthful kind of innocence mixed with confidence and arrogance and all of that. And I looked all last week, it reminded me so much of what happened to Sergio at a very young age in his career, to where he came out, he was running around, he was jumping around, everybody liked him. Um, he His energy was infectious. Um, do you think that an opportunity like this for Tom can give him that springboard now to say, okay, I can use this to help me get to the next level? Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. We used the Scottish Scheffler analogy earlier or comparison earlier. And um, I throw that in there. The, the one caveat is uh, if you look at the difference between those two players as we're using them as examples, you know, Scottish Scheffler is a very, very powerful player still. Hits it a long way. Hits it extremely high. Can fire at any pin wherever it is and has the short game to match then has the intangibles. Tom has the intangibles. He has the desire. He has the heart and the guts. He has the skill level from a standpoint of accuracy, owning one shot that he knows he can rely on that baby fade. The thing that's going to be interesting for me to, to see, and the one hurdle that I believe uh, he still has to overcome is um, he doesn't quite have the power. So he was the second shortest hitter on our team. Him and Besaidenhurt were the two shortest hitters. And uh, I thought it was a good sign that he acquitted himself so well on a big ballpark like Quail Hollow. Um, he has a bit more of a knuckly ball flight um, and needs conditions to be firm and will be extremely dangerous when you look at golf courses like Sedgefield where he won the Wyndham or Colonial or Sony, places like that. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see if over the next few years he can continue to generate a little speed to match everything else to where he can bridge the gap. I mean, you look at uh, just that match and who they were playing against. You know, he's going in with two iron. And then the next match that came through there, uh, the Burns-Scott-Davis-Horschel uh, match, Burns had 150 yards into that whole <laughs> on 18 and Tom had 237. So it just goes to show, you know, it really is tough to keep up because Sam Burns and, and Homer and Thomas and Scheffler, like those guys have all the skills and they have the power. 
to match that. So that to me is the final hurdle for Tom. No, he's only 20, but it'll be very interesting to see if he can start to harness a little more power to where he can bridge that gap. And instead of having, I know he whiffed that tee shot, he told me so in his own words, but instead of having 237, can he be inside of 200 to where he still has some kind of medium iron in there? Uh, because it'd be very difficult for him over the course of four days to be at a major US Open and a Masters when it's not firm and fast uh, for him to keep up with, with the big guns. Two other players, uh, young players, Trev, that I thought were standouts, Cam Davis and Sebastian Munoz. The way those two guys played, um, they are legit studs. I mean, when I watch, I mean, Cam Davis, obviously in talking about Tom, um, Tom isn't, you know, he's by no means big. He's by no means long. When you look at Cam Davis, Cam Davis is the prototypical 2022 PGA Tour player. He's 6'2 to 6'4, hits it miles, hits it to the sky, can, you know, can hit seven iron from 215 if he needs to. And then you've got a kid like Sebastian Munoz, who was a great ball striker. Um, talk to me about the contributions that those two guys made, because I thought the match that 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 Cam Davis down the stretch with Scotty on the team, Scotty, you know, as his partner. And I thought some of the shots Sebastian Munoz pulled off um, were really, really fantastic for those two players. Yeah. Look, a lot of people, a lot of people doubted me. A lot of people laughed at me. I got a lot of hate on Twitter when I made those picks. I uh, went a long way down the line. You know, Cam Davis was 20th in our qualification criteria. Uh, Munoz was 13 or 14. Siwu was 18. Uh, but I knew just in getting to know those players over the last couple of years, all the time that I'd spent with them, getting a look under the hood, understanding what makes them tick, uh, knowing what their strengths and weaknesses are in their games. I knew they were going, they had the potential to be great fits with Quail Hollow and with the canvas that we were going to have to work with. Uh, Cam Davis, particularly the way he handled himself at the end of our qualification period when we had a lot of question marks, we didn't know exactly who was going to be on our team. He, he, he stepped up as an alternate and knew that if certain players leave, he was going to get the call. And it didn't disappoint him. It fired him up even more. And it showed me how much he loved our team, how much he wanted to, to play for the Shield, and how much he wanted to be at the President's Cup. I learned a lot about him in that um, time period. And he just kept telling me in the weeks leading up to the President's Cup, like, I love match play. I played so much match play when I was a kid down in Australia. It brings something special out of me. I love knowing, you know, looking at my opponent, feeling that one-on-one -on -one dynamic. And he really was jazzed about it. And he was coming out of his shell more and more. He's quite an, in he's the most introverted Aussie I've ever met in my life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, normally Aussies are, uh, you know, they're out there, they're confident. Um, they, they, they'll let you know exactly how they think. He's not that way. He's much more reserved. And, um, and, and introverted, but he was starting to come out of his shell. And it was amazing to see his confidence build. And him and Siwoo really pulled off a beautiful upset uh, on the first day of the tournament to get us our point. 
And yeah, for, for him and Scotty to team up, I knew that that had, had the potential to be a pretty good pairing because Cam, you know, idolizes Scotty and, and, and watched him when he was a kid growing up. And the opportunity for him to be able to show off for one of his mentors, I knew that could, could bring something special out of him. And the way he played those last three holes with the high cut three wood into 16, buries the 10-footer for Eagle, 17 hits it in there to eight feet, buries that part uh, for them to be one up. And then to make the putt on 18 to win that point, you know, so the eagle birdie birdie finish was just, uh, it was fantastic. I think one of the coolest moments that our team has ever had. Munoz, I love that guy, man. I, I love that guy. He is, he's like a peaceful warrior. He, he's very calm and quiet. He was, a, he was a calming influence in the locker room. Uh, but he has like this underlying toughness. And I thought, you know, our team came a long way last week. If you look at him and Sanjay's partnership, uh, from a data perspective, they matched up beautifully with this golf course. Uh, and the fact that they went out there and, and won that point together, shows how far our team has come. We've got a Colombian guy and a Korean guy teaming up and, and taking down a strong American pair. Uh, and then we just had a feeling about him in the singles. Uh, you know, we had an idea of who we wanted to play who in an ideal world, and we had different options with each player. <clears throat> He's played a ton of golf in Dallas with Scotty Scheffler, so we knew he would be comfortable uh, with that matchup. Uh, and man, did he step up to the plate and take down the world number one. What a moment for him. So, so, so proud of him. And to see that moment where him and his dad were, were hugging afterwards and his dad just in tears, so proud of his kid taking down the world number one. Man, money can't buy that. That is stuff that um, the dreams are made of. Yeah, and we, you know, I was at the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits, and the same thing, you you referenced it. Scotty Scheffler in the singles takes down John Rahm. Everybody on that U.S. team was going up to him afterwards going, you just beat the best player in the world. And like you said, you could see this being a springboard for a guy like Sebastian Muniz to take that confidence for beating a guy like Scotty Scheffler, who is, you know, one of, if not the best players in the game right now. You mentioned Adam Scott. Hideki Matsuyama, they are kind of the superstars of your international team. Scotty's one of your your closest friends. He's been a part of the 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 international team for pretty much forever. It seems like. Talk to me about the role that Scotty and and Hideki played last week. Um, they didn't have, they didn't go undefeated. They didn't have the superstar roles. Um, I think. I mean, I can't. I can't think of how many times I saw Hideki miss putts by. I mean, he hit so many good putts that didn't go in. But the role that those guys played from a team aspect and from a mentor aspect to these younger generation of international players. Yeah, it was huge. It's huge. Those were our two playing captains, if you wish. They were extremely involved in uh, our decision-making process from before the tournament. Uh, they were clued in on exactly uh, what our different plans were and uh, the ways that we were going to 
try and run our team. And they gave their input constantly. It was extremely important for me, uh, for them to be very involved from the outset. Uh, number one, because of my respect for them and what they've achieved in the game. Number two, understanding their personalities and how high of a golf IQ they have. But number three, also, these guys are future captains. So I wanted to bring them into the fray as much as I could so they could start to understand exactly how this team operates for when they get the opportunity. Um, it was a tough one for Hideki. Uh, he didn't come in with his game firing on all cylinders. He felt uh, a little uncomfortable with his putter. And the green complexes at Quail Hollow are some of the toughest that we see all year on tour. Extremely undulating and lightning quick. I mean, these things were running 13 on a flat putt every morning. So you start to add some slope to that, a 1%, 2%, 3% slope to 13 it rarely exposes you if you're not feeling comfortable with your stroke and the roll on the ball. So he was fighting that a little bit. He was also fighting a, a, a right hip injury. Um, we were managing that, uh, constantly trying to stay on top of how much he was going to be able to play. Uh, he was a question mark in a number of sessions, but he showed a lot of guts and kept coming to me saying, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go. And so I have a, a lot of um, respect for him. And I'm thankful to him for doing that. Uh, and we put him out early on Sunday. We knew that the Americans after us, uh, you know, shall I say we pumped the brakes a little bit on Saturday. I mean, it still wasn't that close. We were four points behind going into Sunday. But we pumped the brakes a little bit on them. And they, they had to be smart with where they were going with their lineup on Sunday. And we knew they would try and come out early. And, uh, and get some points. So we, we threw Hideki out there. He played extremely well. Got totally screwed on the 18th hole. Oh. I don't, you know, for people who didn't see that, he hits a, a quite a nice tee shot down the left-hand side on the dogleg left. What's that guy doing standing there? You know, I'm going to say this first. I really hope the gentleman's knee is okay because for a driver to land without bouncing on your kneecap has to be excruciating but yeah the fact that he's standing you know two but if it lands on your knee you know you're standing in the wrong damn place <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing i mean that t-shirt claude would have landed there and probably bounded another 20 yards down the fairway Absolutely. And he's got a, 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 a eight nine wedge in his hand to a very easy accessible hole location on 18 this ball hits the guy's knee kicks back and into the trees so now he's got a brutal shot. He, he gets this flyer over these trees over the back, then hits a miraculous chip shot that uh, how that ball hits the middle of the flag stick and doesn't go in, rattles around and stays out. Uh, eventually gets the half, but man, he got pretty screwed there on 18. I felt bad for him because he was he knew how important that point was for us if we really wanted to to, to put a little pressure on him. And he acquitted himself really well. Scotty, yeah, you know, like you said, he's he's one of my best mates. We met each other when when we were 14 or 15 years old, have competed with each other since that moment. And, um, you know, we know a lot about each other. We've shared a lot of different things uh, about our lives, what we've been through. We've become extremely close. And he really has been a rock for me through my captaincy. 
Um, you know, it was tricky at times when everybody was saying that he was he was not going to be on the team. He was going to be leaving. He was going to be going somewhere else. And I was getting all this stuff thrown at me all the time. And I knew he wasn't going anywhere. The guy committed to me way back in the process. And he was all in and invested. We would have weekly calls about our team, about the decisions we were making, about the way things wanted to go. We wanted things to go. And what I thought was so special about him and showed his true heart and character was about six weeks before the end of our qualification, he said to me, you're not going to pick me for this. I'm going to qualify on my own. And he added PGA Tour events to his schedule. He traveled more, which you and I both know. Scotty, Scotty's on the old Tiger schedule. You know, he likes to play 15 events a year max. He's, he the, adds, Howard Hughes, he's the Howard Hughes of golf. <laughs> so, you know, he adds Rocket Mortgage. He adds Wyndham just to get into the playoffs. Now he knows he's given himself a shot um, to earn some more points. He finished. And he played good. He did. He finished top five in those both two playoff events, qualifies himself for the tour championship, coming from nowhere before before that and earned his way onto the team and that you know it didn't just show me so much it showed everybody else on our team everybody in our squad it showed if that guy if this guy like a future hall of famer wants to make this team that badly then we got to bring it too and so uh man he he was a huge part of it. I'm extremely thankful to everything he did for me while while I was captain. So the obvious question, Trev, um, I know how your brain works. Do you want to do it again? Would you be the captain again, or is it a one and done? Um, is that what you think is best for the international team moving forward to get a guy like Adam Scott in to get these guys? Or I mean, I I think you are you are the perfect person for this role. Um, just with the, not only with the way that your brain works, but as a former Masters champion, a guy that's beaten Tiger Woods down the stretch, a guy that's played all over the world, a guy that's now, you know, going to be in the chair next to Jim Nance, you know, at CBS. Um, you know, I messaged you earlier in the week and I, and I meant it. I, I look at your career and I look at, you know, when you and I met each other in, what was it, 2002, the things that you've done, but I know how your brain works. And I know that you will have loved doing this job. Um, if they wanted you to do it again, would you do it? I would. I would, but I don't know if it's the right thing to do. And, uh, you know, we have a process with the international team now. We, um, for the most part, for 95% are in control of every decision that gets made on this team. And so, you know, we'll take a little time and let the dust settle, uh, you know, figure out what went right, what went wrong, and start to, to, to put the right plan in place for what the future is. Uh, you know, I think it'd probably be a little silly not to have Mike Weir as captain in his home country. 
Uh, he's a legend of the game. He's a legend on our team. He's represented us a million times. He's been an assistant captain a bunch of times. Uh, he has been um, an integral part of, of, of my backroom um, squad and has been fully invested throughout my captaincy. So I would say it's looking pretty good that he, he will be the next captain. Uh, and, you know, we're looking at future venues now and we're trying to match the right guy for the right place. Um, but I absolutely see myself being involved in some way, shape or form. You know, I love this team. I love these players. I have a, a very uh, strong feel and passion for international golf and for building the game all over the world and for getting youngsters at a very young age to fall in love with the shield and fall in love with the international team and fall in love with the opportunity to compete against the best in the American team. That's something that, that I'm extremely focused on. So, you know, I'll be involved as long as they want me to be involved. But as far as the next captain goes, um, you know, we're just going to have to let the dust settle and decide what the best thing to do is. You mentioned the future. We talked about the fact that it does feel like the team has momentum. Um, I turned on live from and, you know, on Golf Channel and you've got Brandel and Paul McGinley for 15 minutes talking about how they're going to change the entire um <laughs> you know, President's Cup, bring in, um, you know, some of the people from the LPGA around the world, which, listen, I think they're all great ideas, but does it, it kind of pisses me off that we're thinking, okay, we got to change this thing now. Because I really do feel like it's going in the right direction for the international team. The U.S. team is always going to be the U.S. team, right? They're always going to be, you know, they're always going to be Alabama, right? They're always going to be the All Blacks, right? You know what you get with, the U.S. side, and it's an embarrassment of riches, whoever is the captain of the American side. Um, the fact that when you look back and look at all the Ryder Cups that the U.S. didn't win with the talent and the teams that they had, but it is an embarrassment of riches from an American standpoint. I mean, if you look at the people that Davis and the, the vice captains can sit in a President's Cup or sit in a Ryder Cup, I mean, you're like, man, you're going to sit Max home? Are you going to take him out? Okay, great. Um, it kind of pisses me off that now we're talking about we got to change everything. Don't worry, man. Me too. Me too. I've had to listen to that crap for two years now, Claude. People hitting me up on social media all the time telling me that they got to blow this thing up. They got to change the format. They got to cut the points. Um, you know, we got to bring the woman golfers in. I find it disrespectful on all accounts to be extremely honest with you. I find it disrespectful to us as international golfers that are professional athletes that compete at the highest level week in and week out. We're not scrubs. Are we as strong as the Americans? Doesn't quite look like it right now. Have they kicked our butts in this event? They sure have, but there's been some close calls. Um, and so I find it disrespectful to us. I find it equally disrespectful to the women golfers. And here's why. I don't think women golfers need men to make them and their competitions relevant. Their competitions are already relevant. 
I sit down and watch every single shot of the Solheim Cup. Every single shot. It's one of my favorite times of the year when that event goes on. I watch the U.S. Women's Open. I watched uh, the Women's British Open a few weeks ago when South African Ashley Buhai came down the stretch, almost coughed it up, and then won in the playoff at Muirfield, matching Ernie Els' win at the Open at Muirfield. Women don't need men to make them relevant in sport. My family and I were glued to the TV when Serena Williams played her last match at the US Open. She's one of the greatest athletes to ever walk on the planet. So I find it disrespectful on all accounts when people come with that opinion. I appreciate the fact that they may be trying to think outside of the box, but they need to come up with something else. And I hope Paul doesn't um, get offended by me saying this, but he texted me on Monday and he apologized for saying that on Live From because he realized what playing for the Shield means to us, what having the opportunity to compete in the President's Cup against the Americans means to us. And he realized that, and he realized that his take was incorrect. And he texted me to apologize. And I thanked him for having the guts to text me and to apologize. And I thanked him for realizing how much that event means to us. So I really do hope that we can find a way to create a Women's President's Cup. I think it would be incredible. Oh, yeah. Be unbelievable national team would be as strong as all heck and they would probably dominate i look forward to to uh, to seeing that i look forward to uh, being of use and of service in any way possible with that in fact i've already had three or four conversations with my colleague dotty pepper about that idea um, but let's leave the president's cup and the international team alone for now and let us compete and allow youngsters from Thailand and China and Japan and Korea and Australia and South Africa and Canada and all over South America, allow them to grow up with this as their goal, to be able to compete on this level, because we are eventually going to win this event, I promise you. Trev, when you are a captain for these things, when you play in them, there's always these moments that that kind of stick out in your mind. I know you probably have a lot of them, but what are, well, give me a lasting image or memory that that you kind of were able during the moment to kind of look around and kind of go, man, this is this is something that will be a part of my life and be special for me moving forward. There were a few things. Um, first of all, our first team dinner on Monday night. Uh, Carmenita and I invested a lot of time with the help of, of um, you know, many people to build some really kick-ass team rooms at the golf course and at the hotel. And that first team dinner when those guys walked into our team room and, and felt that and started reading the quotes on the wall. And um, when I spoke to them 
about how I saw the week panning out and playing out um, and gave them my ideas on the week and my story for the week. I revolved it all around the Wright brothers and first flight in North Carolina. And I gave them each a gift that was extremely impactful and meaningful. That was something I'll never forget. That, that feeling in the room, the love in that room was, uh, was awesome to behold. The first tea on Thursday was another one. Uh, that opening ceremony when Davis and I got to speak, the U.S. anthem being sung was something special. The flyover, the energy from the crowd, the patriotism from the American fans. That was something I'll never forget. That was great to be a part of. <clears throat> and then Saturday afternoon, when those, when those two, two matches came down 18 and the, that whole 480-yard, 500-yard par four was lined 10 deep. That was, for me, the coolest atmosphere I've ever experienced on a golf course was in 2019 when Tiger won the Masters. I was out on the golf course <clears throat> excuse me, playing that final round, but I could feel that. And then I finished before him and I was down near 18 um, at the scoring area when he came through. Yes, you and I were standing right next to each other. That was the coolest moment I've ever experienced on a golf course, but I swear to you, this, that, that moment on Saturday afternoon on the 18th hole was right there with it. The, uh, the atmosphere, the electricity, the passion from both teams, the, the will to win, the fight, the respect amongst the competitors. Whew. If you could bottle that, that's what this game is all about. Lastly, Trev, um, when you won the Masters, um, your son Jacob was young then. He had red hair. Um, he had no clue what was going on. Um, what's he, 16, 17 now? The J-Man. Um, for you as a father to get to spend a President's Cup captaincy with your son who's now playing competitive golf. He's 16. He knows what's going on. I mean, I, I, you were riding around in the cart with him. Um, he was there when Tom Kim made that putt. It must have been pretty special for you and, and, and Jacob to, to, to share that experience. He loves sports as much as you do. Um, that's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. My daughter, Maya, was there as well. She was camped out on the first tee every day starting a lot of those INT chants and loving it. She had the, the face paint on and the flags and all the stuff. So it was an awesome week for our family. Uh, and the support that Carmenita gave me through this and the time she dedicated was, whew, I'll owe her for a long time. But uh, yeah, my son, great moments to have him there with us. He was with the team at all times, in the team rooms, um, there for all of our videos, there for all of our pep talks um, and team gatherings. And, you know, I'm so appreciative of the caddies and of the players and how they accepted him and, and brought him in and really treated him with a lot of respect, just like he was one of their teammates. It, it was pretty special to see. And, uh, you know, they're, they're all following him on social media, on Instagram now, and they're commenting on his posts and, and they're high-fiving him when they're walking from greens to tees. And, uh, you know, we brought him in and actually gave him a job. He was part of the support staff. So he was out there, you know, carrying sandwiches and drinks and, 
um, putting electrolytes into water bottles and, you know, carrying umbrellas and stuff for the caddy. He was, he was, he was working as part of the team. Trev, he had the, he had the Yarmo roll from the 99 (laughs) Ryder Cup. Hey, Yarmo, give me a sandwich. Hey, Yarmo, give me, (laughs) give me a bottle of water. It was great. It was great. And, uh, you know, like you say, he loves golf. He competes. He's 16 years old. He'd love to play collegiate golf. And for him to be there and watch the best in the world, like from steps away and feel JT's energy and, and feel uh, Tom's heart and guts and be there to be able to watch how the best go about their business. Yeah, he's going to have learned a lot from that week. I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed to have been able to, to spend it with him in such a, a close plugged in manner. Well, I think you did a hell of a job. Um, I know you guys didn't get the win, but um, I really do feel like there is a tremendous amount of positive momentum and energy for this international team moving forward. And I'm proud of you that you got to put your stamp and, like you said, helped you put your brick in this foundation. And hopefully in 10 years time, you, as the international team, you guys are able to look at this and say, hey, we all built this together and we finally got the win and um, congratulations on, um, I mean, it's a hell of a year for you. I mean, you're pre- president's cup captain. I mean, CBS going into the chair next to Jim Nance. I mean, it's got I mean, it's pretty good being Trevor Immelman right now. <laughs> I think I need to sleep for a week before I think about anything else, <laughs> but thank you. Thanks for talking to us, Trev and, and congrats on a great week. All right, brother. Thanks. So that was Trevor Immelman and um, you know, what a week for Trev, what a week for the internationals. I think if, if you listen to that, anybody that thinks um, that this doesn't mean something to the international team, um, I think Trevor really did a fantastic job. Um, you can hear it in his voice. You can hear it the way they played. Sure, they didn't get a win. They've continually got beat, but I mean it when I said it, and I think Trevor feels it as well. I think there's some momentum for the international side, and um, it'll be interesting to see if they can carry some of that to Canada for the next installment. Um, Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, We're going to continue to bring great guests. Son of a Butch comes to you every Wednesday. We'll see everybody next week. Three six five. We don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. 
so it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear, so before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 